Hello, and welcome back to Right Now. I'm Stephen Kent. I have a personal question for you, because Easter was just the other week. Did you go to church? I did not. I put out Easter eggs for my daughter, and I read a devotional and looked at the clock, and then I just didn't go. Churches just started to open up around here, and they've been welcoming congregations back after nearly a year of forced closure by state authorities, which is awesome, but it's also something that is still wild to even say aloud that churches were closed by state authorities. Anyways, I watched a sermon on Instagram Live later that day, but that didn't erase the thing that kept me on the couch instead of going to church in the first place, which is just that I feel incredibly disconnected these days. A little trust has been lost between me and the church in recent years, and you know, that happens every so often in one's faith. You enter these kinds of valleys and then you climb out of them. I'm a person of faith, but right now I can't say that I go to church. And I'm not alone. Gallup has a new poll out that shows just 47% of Americans reported belonging to a house of worship, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. That is a 23% drop in just 20 years. Now, to be clear, 70% of Americans identify with some religion or another, but that's different. That can best be explained by the identity marker given to you by being from a Christian family or a Muslim family or whatever. Religious identity is still with us, but not religion. That's doctrine, tradition, obedience, and belief. We're losing that. We're losing religion. Or maybe we're not. Maybe we're funneling that innate desire to order our lives around something meaningful into other things. My co-host today is Shoshana Weissman. Joining me again at the table, she's a fellow at the R Street Institute. Welcome back, Shoshana. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, but then we also are going to be joined here by Andrew Heaton. But first things first, we'd love it if you would subscribe to the show on YouTube. You can also follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at RightlyAJ and bring a friend along for the ride. Leave a comment about the show on YouTube and I will respond personally. All right. Now, joining now from a secure location in Oklahoma is Andrew Heaton. He's a veteran writer and comedian with Reason TV and the host of the Political Orphanage podcast, where I presume, Andrew, you are not assembling newly unaffiliated voters into some kind of agnostic militia. Uh, that is correct. I don't have that good of organizational skills. I'm more of a funny person who likes thinking than a community <laughs> organizer or cult leader. Although... Uh, maybe if I read more Josh Godin books, I'll, I'll eventually become the latter. I thought I thought as a libertarian personality and comedian, you were already somewhat of a cult leader, though. Uh, you know what? I'll accept the the cult status. I just don't want to have to work hard for it. Like if people want to give me tax exemption and a harem, I mean, who am <laughs> I to turn those things down? But I'm not actively working for them. I'm just trying to better the world. Yeah, well, Andrew, you are a bit of a godless libertarian, if I might say so myself. And we're going to be talking about religion today and its decline sure. uh, in the United States. So I guess my question, just to start things off, is are you glad that religion is on the decline and losing its luster throughout our society? Because I've been to a libertarian conference or two, and that sort of agnostic atheist streak runs pretty strong. <laughs> uh, well, so I want to issue with the, the question you posed. Uh, of do I am I glad that the the country's becoming less religious? I don't think that it's becoming less religious. I, I think I'm I'm going to define religion as a system which brings order to the chaos in life and has 
important stories that give you meaning, right? That is, I think, a broad anthropological definition of religion. And in that capacity, I don't think America's really become any less religious. What I think has happened is that the impetus of those religious impulses has shifted from traditional religion, like you were talking about earlier, of church and mosque and that kind of thing, to now more secular things like political activism and politics as a whole. So I, I don't think that religion itself is declining. But if, if we want to say like traditional religion, I actually think it's a bad thing. And I say that, as you point out, as a godless heathen. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I'm in the, uh, I, I think the lights turn off when I die camp. And, uh, but, but, but all the same, though, I think that that impulse is so hardwired into us to find meaning, to find order, to find a, a community that we look for it elsewhere. And increasingly, as that church attendance has declined, Rather than people doing what I think would have been a smart move, which is joining Rotary Clubs and Elks Lodges and going to Star Trek conventions, things that could provide you mythologies or community, people have become more and more invested in politics. And the problem that I have with that yeah. is that you can join the Rotary Foundation and not hate the Elks Lodge. You can become a big Star Trek fan and not despise Firefly. Well, I will tell you, Politics I mean, one of my one of my personal organizing religions has always been Star Wars fandom. And yeah. I part of my big fandom is that I really do hate Star Trek fans like you, Andrew Heaton. I mean, this is just like the oppositional nature of what those sorts of ideologies require us to do. Uh, it's it's a little bit fun, right? And yeah. you could argue also that like politics is like sports. And like Shoshana, I know that you're around people all the time <laughs> in the political consultant class in DC that like treat it like a game, but it's a little bit more than a game. Yeah, well, so on that side too, I'm thinking of sports. I used to, you know, wish that uh, people would treat politics like sports and that they would be passionate about it. I was wrong. I was horribly wrong. But um, but Andrew, what do you think? Like, do you think? Uh, not not obviously we shouldn't be treating like politics like sports and we shouldn't be like treating I guess religion like sports and we should be treating religion like religion but as you mentioned with like the rotary club and stuff is that how you resolve for you like being someone who's not religious and who's not into God and stuff um with like thinking that the idea of religion and the idea of that kind of organization is is healthy to to both counts yes uh, to your your earlier question about um, uh, being more sport like politics as sports, I, I think that there's sort of three or four different way people tend to approach politics. Uh, a lot of people in D.C. kind of treat it like a game. Um, when I, when I worked on the Hill, like it was, it was pleasant to be honest with you, because when I worked on the Hill, uh, I was a Democrat at the time, but I could go drink and make out with Republicans and we were on the same <laughs> softball team. And, uh, it was fine because we all kind of agreed that it was a job. And when we were, when we were through, we would go home and we cared about it, but we understood that, you know, you were on another team. It was fine. Right. I, I think you need some of that. I, I think that that's actually a little bit more decried than it should be. Um, I, I would say that the healthy way to approach politics, I, I view it as an engineering problem. It's just a series of systems that we need to optimize in order to protect everybody and, and have everybody be prosperous and free and so on and so forth. But, but I, I look at it like plumbing or like an electrical system of like, oh, we need to tweak this. We need to tweak that, right? The other way of looking at it is this is a religion and you are in an enemy faith and I must destroy you because everything you think is an affront to the universe. I can't compromise with somebody in that camp. I can compromise with somebody that's on another sports team. We, we can we can all agree we're going to change the wicket rule on cricket or whatever if, if we're doing it as sports or engineering. But when it is an affront to the cosmos itself that you believe X and I believe Y, 
we're now approaching this from a very different perspective. And, and that, I think, has seeped into the, the political discourse and made compromise extremely difficult and made being open minded and being skeptical very, very difficult. Uh, in answer to your next question of just what have I done for myself in terms of uh, my own um, atrophied religious view, uh, I'm still working on that. Like I, I quite like Buddhism. I don't believe the stuff about reincarnation, but I like the the ethos of um, everything's changing. Everything's in, in a constant state of flux. Don't get attached to things. Be nice to people. Like I can be a secular Buddhist and that works okay. Um, I think that uh, it would it would do me quite well once we've had a complete thaw from COVID to plug myself into civil society. I think everybody wants to have uh, community. And I like, we, like well, when I was Andrew, last I in want DC, to ask you, you about like the differences between different religions, because I, I guess what I, I don't understand is why is there a need for people to move away from religion? Like, right. Like they don't sort of believe in like following rules, right? Like they don't want to live by the doctrine of a church and they think that that's dogma, but then they uh, just sort of naturally start putting that into other aspects of their life. That seems like so counterintuitive to me that people would be unaware of the way in which they are deceiving themselves about their disdain for religion and rules and order and simply off-putting it onto other things. Do you think that it is completely natural and not confusing that they actually do that? Yes. Uh, I, I th there seems to be a... I, I, I think you could kind of make a, a couple of different spectrums that we're looking at, right? There could be sort of rule-based thinking or systemic thinking, which you do see a lot of in religion. Uh, there's also kind of a, a, a vertical axis of compliance and authority and the idea that not only do I believe this thing, you must believe this thing. I think that when religion does that, it becomes dangerous. So like when it starts enforcing things by the state or by, you know, mobs and burning witches and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, that impulse, that authoritarian compliance-based impulse seems to be something endemic to the human condition. Uh, or at least something that returns all of the time. Uh, and and yeah, you're, the, the, the contradiction you bring up is very well put. I mean, I, I look at, say, you look at like the 90s, um, the, the real big social push towards restrictions and compliance was coming from the right. It was coming from people like conservative Baptists that were angry at the Simpsons for saying the word but, yeah. or Murphy Brown having uh, an out-of-wedlock child. Whereas now that pendulum's kind of swung around where I mean, I, I look at my woke friends and I, I, like, I want to have a sit down talk and be like, hi, when I'm hanging out with church people, I will endeavor to not offend you. And I'll try not to say the Lord's name in vain, but I don't believe in any of that. So just so you know, it's not my thing and I don't care, but I'm going to try. And with same with the woke people, I'm like, I, you clearly have your own blasphemy laws. You clearly believe in the concept of heresy. I don't, I don't believe in magic words. I don't believe there are words and phrases that are an affront to the universe itself. I'll try to accommodate you as best I can, but know that I am not a part of that system. I'm an atheist unto you. No, that makes a lot of sense. But one thing I do want to push back on a bit is that I, I like the idea that, um, you know, that I think there's a lot of healthy places for things in communities and in religion that we're kind of putting in other places. But one thing that you talk about with like the authoritarian streak where I must therefore or I do therefore you must or um, you're bad if you don't think this exact way. It doesn't seem like it's any better place in religion than it is elsewhere, that that impulse, no matter where it lives, um, tends to be bad. Or, or do you disagree? Do you think that that impulse is, even if not great, it's better when it's with religion than with something else? No, it's a well-put question. Uh, I don't think that it's a question of either or. Like, I, there's, I mean, there's... 
obviously a ton of examples of religion running roughshod over other people and, you know, the Crusades and and uh, the Inquisition and all these different things, right? Um, I, I think that there are very strong tribal impulses and very strong compliance impulses that exist in human society and they glom onto things. And religion is a very easy thing to to use as a lightning rod for those impulses and it's bad. I would look at it more like I think any ism, whether it's an ideology or a political party uh, or an economic philosophy or a religion, any ism can go one of two different ways. You can either go towards the fundamentalist, by which I mean, like, this is how things are and you must agree with me and we all must be on the same page, or you can be a pluralist. Mm -hmm. And a, a pluralist is just somebody that thinks it's okay that you're wrong. I am all right with you being in error and that can exist in, in any capacity, right? So you could be a, you could be a very devout Catholic or in, in my case, uh, a chummy agnostic and go, <laughs> I am all right with, from my perspective, I'm okay that, uh, Stephen believes in magic. I'm okay with that. I, do. I don't like, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but, but like, but I could be, I could be like a Soviet atheist and be like, no, Stephen must be corrected and the state must take his children and brainwash them. And you could see that in any other religious capacity. So I, yeah. I think the, the, the relevant dichotomy is pluralism. And, you know, I think about like the different things that have sort of stepped into the zeitgeist as people's like new forms of practicing faith. And the two things that come to mind are what you already mentioned, like wokeisms, like critical race theory, and then also QAnon, where you are reordering your lives and answering the things that don't make sense with these new explanations that help bring order to the world. And they require faith. And it's like, when you look at those, those studies that show like, yeah, people are not um, going to houses of worship and all this stuff. I don't think that people are like less faithful and really only believe in science and the things that they can touch and with the and feel with their hands. Yeah. They still believe in the unseen, but it is other things. I mean, like for for Pete's sake, like when when natural uh, disasters happen these days, people have partisan explanations for why a city might have gotten put underwater by weather, and they can blame Republicans or Democrats for these things. That requires faith. You know, on that point, I'm just thinking about QAnon. Like, it's kind of like the the iconic reply from a Q follower when you're like, "Well, have you spoken to wrong. Q?" No, not just that, but have you spoken to Q? Well, not directly. Kind of like we might with God. Like, no, I haven't like called up God. And it, they kind of treat it the same way. I never thought about that before. <laughs> but that that's that's true. We kind of have that faith that you're talking about. Um, but Andrew, is that one of the places where you're talking about where you think that is just better place in God than somewhere else? Because that doesn't fit in the Rotary Club either, right? Like right. Having faith in well, God doesn't mean you go after other people. Right. <laughs> it, I don't really have a preference really between whether, whether where you put your faith or your spiritual energy or whatever, whether it's theistic or non-theistic, that, that's not really so much the issue for me. The, the problem for me is, is, is politics becomes the last man standing in terms of these things that we do together, these, these corporate entities that provide mythos and order. As politics becomes the last one, the, the, the fundamental issue that I see with that is that politics is by nature competitive. Whereas religion doesn't have to be. Religion can be. We've got the Crusades. We've got the Thirty Years' War. Obviously, religion can be this 
uh, totemic antipodal structure that motivates people to go murder other people. That can obviously happen. It doesn't have to, though. Like back when I was religious, I was Eastern Orthodox. I don't remember remember a single sermon where the priest spent uh, you know forty minutes explaining why. Gosh, we really got to get to church on November because we got to beat those Lutherans. <laughs> the Lutherans are the downfall of America. We we never really were anti any other religion. We were kind of doing yeah. our own thing. Religion can do that, and I think that's very healthy if you're going to do it that way. Of we're gonna we're gonna you know try and take care of uh, people on our own, and we're gonna have these charitable organizations, and we're gonna focus on our own spiritual things. That's all great. Politics though, like imagine if if the Democratic Party just like ceased to exist, it just folded up and went home. The Republican Party would not really operate very well anymore. It does, like it wouldn't work as a self-supporting mechanism. It only works in opposition to something else. And so turning that into a religious structure, I think is inherently dangerous because you're supercharging and providing that faith to a competitive structure. Right. And when the, well, I want to put my cards on the table on the thing of faith and kind of like what has driven me away from partisan politics. Because I was a Republican my entire life. I was kind of like raised Republican, right? And I, I identified as a Republican throughout my teen years. And then I was in college Republicans. I did work for, for the McCain campaign, for Romney, all that stuff as a volunteer. And it wasn't until 2018 when I think it just kind of crumbled for me. And it, I didn't even leave when Donald Trump became the, the, the candidate and I, I didn't like him and all that stuff. It was the Kavanaugh hearings where... We were required in Republican circles to accept or deny uh, the allegations against him that are completely unknown. You're just not yeah. able to prove it. You're not able to know what happened between him and his accuser. Um, and it just, it smacked of dogma to me. It smacked of believing in what you cannot see. And it wasn't that I was just like, no, like I think Brett Kavanaugh was a rapist and I'm going to leave the party because they nominate him. I was offended by the idea that I had to pick. <laughs> and that was when I pulled out and I'm a libertarian now. And like, I try to be conservative on things when I can, but you know, I just couldn't do the party label thing anymore if I had to believe in something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, my experience was actually pretty similar. Uh, I, I like you. Uh, I, 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 I'd say I'm, I'm not a Republican, but I am ethnically Republican. That's the background that <laughs> I, I grew up that. with. I was born like, this the, way. The only <laughs> book my father's ever asked me to read was The Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater. So I grew up in that. Uh, I, I had a similar, similarly disillusioning moment when I was in college where uh, I had been uh, – I, I had at that point – this is like 2005 – uh, I had been like the war in Iraq was this clearly righteous thing where we we toppled this evil dictator and like look at these jubilant people in, in Baghdad that are ripping down his statue look how happy they are and then I saw footage of just this quiet crowd waiting while the American army uh, got the crane set up. Uh, put a flag over his head and then went, no, that's a bit too on the nose. We'll take the flag off. Uh, and, and then went, okay, go. And then they did it. And I was like, that whole thing was staged. And it, it really disillusioned me knowing that there was agitprop at work. And mm -hmm. ever since then, I, in, in my case, being both a, a jettisoned partisan um, and also being a formerly very, very religious person who's now an agnostic, I am extremely reticent to just join a tribe, whether it's political or spiritual or whatever. Uh, I, I have my orientation, but I, I view my I view my politics more as a starting position or as a like it's like a hometown that I'm from. It, I, I don't view it as like dogma. Uh, I, I don't I don't view it as I have an onus on me to push these particular rules, which gets me in trouble with libertarians a lot because I like I'm a contributor at Reason and I do funny videos with them. I love Reason; it's a great publication. But then I'll, I'll meet libertarians. 
of like reason. And they're like, right, like all taxes are evil in all situations ever on this and every other planet and everybody should have their own bazooka. Right. And I'm like, no, I don't believe either of those things. And then they freak out that I'm, I'm not the pope of libertarianism. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'm just an independent. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, one of the areas where I've stepped into libertarian blasphemy in the past couple of years is like this whole theory about state capacity libertarianism, where like maybe it was a mistake to spend several decades telling people that the government is inherently bad, can never do good, and you should hate Congress. And then you like skip forward a, you know, a couple of decades and like, you know, Congress's approval rating is in the low teens and the, the president is now like a god to people and the only yeah. people who can do stuff. And I go, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a mistake. Maybe we should be trying to like gear people towards the government is good at certain things and we need to maximize those certain things. And it makes me fall out of grace with libertarians. But you're more conservative and, and don't have that problem. I imagine. Oh, no, I'm pretty libertarian, actually. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Uh, working at the R Street Institute has had me rethinking a lot of this, too, just seeing where government's best. But one thing, like, I mean, the, the worship is something that freaks me out. And this is why I'm glad we have Andrew on, because it's like, we there's so many people who like worship Trump and I see that with Biden too it's a, it's different forms but you see that over the years people like worshiping a president like oh my gosh he's the greatest thing he's on all my t-shirts I have posters of him in my room to Biden's credit I've never seen a Biden t-shirt <laughs> yeah I haven't seen the but we're not outside a lot and seeing other people out so give it time but like Andrew like what part like do you think not to say everyone's going to be walking around with like god t-shirts but like uh -huh. would they like you know has have things changed is this conceit of the president uh not president conceit of the present where now we have this and like it, it was always kind of like this like people like were obsessed with you know like jfk and stuff is, is this new or is this like kind of that religion manifesting in politics? Uh, I, I think that that impulse, I, I think there's two impulses that are there that are both endemic and they've, they've combined very dangerously in the American experience. Um, we have, we have a, an impulse to revere things that seems to be there. I think that it's probably from my perspective, it's an evolutionary thing of we're trying to, to unite a disparate group of people. So we create a kind of mythological superstructure that we all agree on that gives us kind of cohesive as a society. And we agree that there's certain things that are truly important. And that allows us to sort of trust each other because I, I'm going to swear on, on Marduk that I, I have been honest with my contract. So that, that reverence appears to be something endemic to the human experience. There also seems to be a kind of like, um, like alpha male worship or strongman worship yeah. uh, that, that that's part of the human experience where, where I think we've really messed up and that and I'm very alarmed with is we've combined these things with our head of government. Uh, and I, I think the, the counter version of this, which wasn't planned, but is nonetheless brilliant is the British experience. Like in the United States, we've very cleverly separated church and state. Well done, America. That was a great call. Well, good job. In Britain, what they've done accidentally over time is they've separated power from reverence. So when, when I, I've lived in the UK a couple of times, everybody makes fun of the prime minister. The prime minister's just the top bureaucrat. Everybody, <laughs> like, the prime minister's literally, not literally, the prime minister gets drug in front of parliament once a week so parliament can hackle them. That is the, the British experience of their head of government. And like when I was living in Scotland, Gordon Brown is a Scotsman. He's, he's, he's their party. He's, uh, cause he's labor. He's the prime minister. Everybody makes fun of Gordon Brown. But then like when the queen visits town, everybody's like, oh, the queen, queen. Okay. Right. And so that, that, that reverence, which I think is going to happen regardless of what you do is placed on somebody that can't send troops off to die, that can't take your money via taxes. We've combined those things. And, and so now because we have a, a kind of 
head of government slash bishop chaplain character, the things the president done does are sort of wrapped in this sacred gauze of like, you know, well, I, I disagree with the president, but I respect the office. I, I think that's actually a very bad way to approach things. I think you should treat the president as a bureaucrat. You can kick around, be incredibly skeptical of any president that occupies office, particularly when they're dealing with killing people or taking cash. Andrew, there are a couple of different trend lines regarding the decline of religion that I think are, are pretty alarming. So one, you have like, you know, church attendance kind of declines over the course of many years. You have polarization going up at the same time. So people are kind of like getting more intense in their worldly views, less intense in their spiritual views. And then there's this other thing, which is uh, the rise of determinism um, in the public sphere. So it sort of comes from the scientific community first that like neuroscience can explain a lot of our actions more so than this old, uh, you know, more religious concept of free will. And I am very nervous about neuroscience and determinism rising in the public square, in the legal system, in the way we think about why people make their actions, you know, free choice, all that stuff is going to completely change if our society gets more or less religious and we are losing faith in the idea that we make our own choices. Is that something that you studied in your background in religious studies? Because I don't know much about where that comes from in terms of theology. Um, what is your take on that? I, I think theologically, um, you, you see that in the Christian experience and that there's a, a really big I idea placed on free will and the notion that you have willingly aligned yourself with God. Um, whereas there are other variants of the Christian experience that everything is predetermined because God is so imposing and so um, so omnipotent that everything is according to plan. And, and thus, you really have no free will. You're just sort of, I, I guess it's just an attitudinal shift to wherever you're predestined to go. Uh, in terms of the, the societal impact of that, I, that strikes me, I, I am less worried about that because I think that the average person, if if they were to get mugged, and the mugger was like, sorry, I can't control my actions. You really have no moral obligation to, to like, like people would still try and lock the guy up. Uh, <laughs> and, and from my end, I don't know. I, I have no idea whether like, I, I mean, fr from my perspective, yeah, we're basically a bucket of, of organs and electricity. And, and it might very well be that that's all mechanical and that, that free will is an illusion. It might be that. Well, I, I, you, I don't know. you, like, you I, talked I don't, to George the, Will, you know, in his in his book, um, uh, uh, The Conservative Mindset. The conser yes. Yeah, the conservative. <laughs> so in his book, he talked a lot about like the progressive era and sort of them wanting to approach uh, humankind as moldable, whereas the conservative sort of views the, the human condition as set and you need to set government uh, sort of parameters around it accordingly. But the progressive views that people can be changed. And so if you go back to the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan by Jonathan Hinckley Jr., uh, this was an instance where we saw a very mainstream uh, defense case for the insanity plea. And his defense lawyers get him a CAT scan and they bring that into the courtroom and they show that to the judge. And they're like, look, his brain is malformed. It's a little bit shrunken. He uh, might be uh, schizophrenic. And so we can do the insanity plea. The judge did not like it, but the jury did. And he ended up getting that insanity plea bargain and he ended up uh, being ruled not guilty as a result. And over the past two decades, we have seen a steady rise of people making that argument in courtrooms. And you have to wonder, 
there are going to be policy implications across our justice system, across how we think about who succeeds in life and who doesn't, equality versus equity, based on do people have free choice? Just because somebody grows up in a poor neighborhood, are they determined to that outcome or will they be able to make choices that lift them out of it? Like that's gonna completely remodel our society if we're not yeah. careful. Well, I, I think that there's a point like uh, you can say, at least from a justice perspective, I think you could then begin to separate people into categories of is this person dangerous versus is this person deserving of punishment? On, on my end, I'm really not interested in a punitive justice system. I'm interested in a, in a, a justice system that's primarily rehabilitative and yeah. protects the public from dangerous actors. So in the case of John Hinckley Jr., I don't think anybody was debating whether or not he should be a free man on the street. It was whether he should be in a, a medical facility or a penal facility. And in that capacity, I think we've had way too much emphasis on this old religious model of you have sinned and must be a penitent. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Agreed. we're going to put you in a penitentiary from which that word is derived. So I, I'm fine with it going the other way. I don't think it's super likely that we would just say um, you you uh, you are not morally responsible for this crime. Therefore, we're going to let you go. Uh, another one that, that disturbs me, and I don't know quite what to do with it, is one of the first big public mass shootings in the country was the, I think it was at Texas A&M, I want to say, in maybe the 80s or 90s. And the the shooter that got up on a clock tire and started picking people off, let like he'd killed his mother and his wife. And he'd left this note that was like, I love my mother. I love my wife. I don't know why I'm doing this. I think there's something wrong with my brain. Yeah. It's like, please look into this. And they did. And it turned out he had this big tumor pressing up against him. And that there appears to have been some kind of serious neurological impediment that was preempting him. Yeah, to there, do have been, there has been shown multiple times that people become murderers, pedophiles, when tumors form in their brains that are not known to them. Yeah. Um, and their, their behavior completely changes. And I, like, but the, the the problem is when we start getting too sure of ourselves and our ability yeah. to predict what people are going to do. If we lose faith in the idea that people make choices on their own and that we are going to then go by those consequences, like I get what you're talking about, Andrew, with like you know a punitive justice system versus one that tries to understand and grapple with the science. But we're eventually going to start looking at people inside their brains at the earliest age and then make judgments about what they're going to do and then make judgments about whether or not they need to maybe live their entire lives in isolation because they're going to be dangerous. And yeah. you know that's going to happen, or at least I do, because I'm kind of a sci-fi guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you're, you're, you're thinking Minority Report. Like we a would little, eventually a have bit. this kind of, yeah, you know, a, a little or kind of like, maybe like Gattaca or something where, <laughs> where there's this scientific way of assessing your, your status or your right. danger level and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, no, that'd be, I mean, I, I think regardless of which direction we want to go, the, the, the two worldviews that you just described a moment ago, Stephen, of, um, a, a moldable human being versus a, a, a fairly stable human being that we mold the government around. I'm definitely in the latter category, but at the same time, I guess people of that kind of Burkean worldview, as opposed to that Rousseau worldview are very frequently wrong in what we construe human nature to be. You can go back a couple hundred years where there's this long period of time where we think that there's far more difference between men and women. And you know, women can't possibly hold office because they, they don't have the capacity to do that. And very wrong in that capacity. So we, we have to be able to sort of amend these things as we go. I think from either direction, there's going to have to be tweaking. And I think that kind of goes back to like the, the whole 
you know, conversation about religion and faith and stuff like that. I just, I think we have too much faith sometimes that government's going to get it right all the time or that even science will get it right all the time. Maybe that's kind of where we have to put a little faith in like God or just something else. Um, and it's a little bit healthier, or even if we don't have to put that faith there, it's more healthy when it's placed there as opposed to like, oh, let government like figure out everyone's predestination because, you know, the, like you're saying, science and, and public opinion, we're changing stuff all the time that way. Okay. Um, so, like, I guess that's one of those places where we have to maybe draw it back a little bit from that faith in, in, in oddly enough, in institutions. I generally like building up institutions, but maybe we put it in a different institution. Um, this also kind of goes back to, um, oh, what's his name? This uh, The scholar had a great book on, like, the failure of institutions, like, why they're failing and stuff. Do you see, like, the the failure of like people to to become religious and get involved in organized religion like do you think that's part of our institutions just kind of like failing a little bit yes i think it's a component i don't think it's the underlying component so okay. i i suspect you're talking about yuval levine yes and, thank you uh, <laughs> yeah no it's I, I i interviewed him on the political work i'm a big fan and i i very much agree with that kind of um uh, Tim Carney, uh, Yuval Levine, Robert Putnam uh, idea of declining social capital and declining social trust. I think that that's a really big thing. I think religion is um, a effect of something deeper underlying, which is just there are atrophied uh, communities, which to me is the big thing, and atrophied institutions in the American experience. and uh, Or I, I should say in the Western experience, but just um, particularly in America, I, I think people are becoming far more atomized. And I think that this is something to to like kind of shake my fist at the libertarians that, that libertarians have become too reductive on, where the, the libertarian fight is uh, the individual is paramount and the collective is onerous and bad. Yeah. And I'd say I agree with the libertarians when it comes to making decisions about your life. Uh, you should choose who you marry. You should choose what kind of job you have. But meaning in life doesn't come from the individual. Meaning in life comes from the group. It comes from being a part of something bigger than yourself. And in America, we've really fetishized this individualism to the point where we think meaning comes from being an individual and it does not. And that's making us very disconnected, very alien. You combine that with all sorts of other things. I, I'd say chief among them probably just being how awesome and convenient television is. And people stay home and they don't go to church or to the Elks Lodge or to their, their school board or whatever. Uh, and, and all of those things atrophy, uh, atrophy those intermediate civil institutions, as Yuval Levine might say, one of which is religion. Andrew, do you think that there is hope for things to turn around? Do you think that there is going to be a, a snap back towards uh, religiosity in the sense that we take it to church, right? <laughs> and that we believe in God again? Or do you think that it is, you know, it's over? Like, we're going to continue to see that decline. And the best thing that we can hope for is that people find healthier outlets um, than the slugfest of politics. I'm not optimistic myself that there is going to be a positive resolution here. Uh, I don't I don't think it's foreordained. I don't think that there's an inevitability either way. Um, I am generally optimistic. I think that over the next two years, you're going to see a great resurgence in civil society because we've all been locked up for a year. I mean, the, the amount of people that are desperate to go to book club right now is amazing. So I, I think you're going to see a, a real resurgence of people having different communities that they're eager to physically be a part of. And that will have a wonderfully ameliorative capacity on all of this because Right now, where the main community that I'm a part of is the political activist clique that I am a member of, I am associating 
entirely with people that have the same ideas as I do, and therefore I can't understand how other people would exist. I'm going to demonize them. The more groups that you're a part of that aren't political, Elks Lodge, Star Trek convention, whatever, you're going to get to know people in relation to that. Or like, you know, you, you know, the deacon at your church primarily is a part of your religion. And then you find out that they're a Democrat or they're a Republican and you go, oh, well, I know he's a really good guy. I know that we have the same values. In fact, I, I guess he's just wrong, but a good person. And that's where we want to be. We want to be pluralists. We want to be to the point where we've got different viewpoints and we understand that there's some strength to them and that they're, they're not a, an evil existential threat to me. Um, the other thing is I, I don't know that it's necessarily bad that this decline in traditional organized religion uh, is going to happen. I, I don't, I don't think that that necessarily means that we're going to have to have a very statist politicized uh, 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 fill in the gap in it. Like I, I, I could be wrong about this, but when you look at Scandinavian countries, they've got very high social trust. They've got very, very good um, sense of community, but they're all agnostics and atheists as well. But I, yeah. but I don't get the impression when they I talk also to my pour Scandinavian money friends into that, community infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I don't get the impression yeah. that my my Scandinavian friends wake up in the morning. I mean. Oh my God, the last five years, the amount of my comedian friends that just at some point went, I'm not funny anymore. I am a one man news team on Twitter that talks about Trump. That just like that was, they'd wake yeah. up at six and start tweeting about Trump. Amazing. I don't get that vibe from the Scandinavians I know that they like wake up to defeat the center left garden gnome and soil protectionism coalition or whatever. They're like, it's, it doesn't seem to me to be quite as Manichaean and energizing for them. So I think there are other models that we may not have struck onto yet of being able to have multiple communities of being able to have order and, and, uh, and purpose in life that are neither derived from politics or from traditional religion. And perhaps we'll go that way. Well, Andrew, I hope to see you at the next back alley brawl between Jedi and Trekkies. Um, we uh -huh. need, we need to see each other again in that, uh, that <laughs> tribal battle. All right, Andrew, thanks so much for being on with us today. It was really nice to see you. Thank you, Stephen. It was a great pleasure. And thank you, Shoshana, for being here with me again today. Thank you for having me. All right. As always, a great discussion. And if you liked that, be sure to check back next week when our guest is going to be Gothics. And we're going to talk about cancel culture, race hustlers, and maybe that shiny new platinum plaque that she got for YouTube on 100,000 subscribers. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll see you then.